Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. This week, we have a lot to celebrate, guys. Got a lot of the youth players out there for the Grimsby match. Ton of good performances to talk about. We'll get into that. Don't worry. And we kept a clean sheet in the league, in the Premier League. Finally, this is like some absurd idea that we've been fantasizing over for the first seven weeks of the season, but it finally happened. But before we get into all of that, I do want to introduce a close friend of the pod, a good friend of Andres, actually, uh, Bobby Meinhold. So, Bobby, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. No problem at all. Uh, Andres actually came through in the clutch because Som texted us earlier today at like noon saying that we needed typical. a sub. So uh, yeah, yeah, typical Som, right? Like he says he's match fit, but then he, like Emerson, he pulls out. You know, oh, after I, I was going to call it more like an N'Golo Conte. He'll show up once and then like miss a couple times. <laughs> yeah, he'll play a full 90 plus extra time and then sit out another month and a half. So He, he doesn't but, have any issues getting on FIFA 20 with me. That's all I'm saying. No, he doesn't. So, uh, Bobby, this is something that we kind of do with, like, every, you know, first-timer on the pod. I mean, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you became a Chelsea fan? What turned you on to the Blues? Um, well, I started watching soccer, football, uh, midway through high school. Um, I think the, what, the 2000, I guess the beginning of high school, 2006 World Cup, 2010 World Cup, like, in between there, uh, started watching it. And at the time, there were really no big... TV deals that showed the Premier League, so we only got the big games, and uh, at that point, we had Drogba dominating Lampard, everybody, and so they were on TV a lot, and uh, from, from there on out, I was a Chelsea fan. No. Well, uh, was were those back in the Fox Soccer Channel days? Yeah, they were. They were. Yeah, good times. Good yeah. times. We'd only get like 12 games a season for Chelsea at that time. Yep. Yeah, but anyways, I mean, well, why don't we just changed? Yeah, they have changed a lot. Now we actually have the ability to watch Grimsby, but you know, it is on like a dodgy stream. But nonetheless, so we could still it. we could still watch it. So, uh, I mean, we'll just go through the starting lineups here. A completely different Chelsea team than one we're used to seeing. We finally saw how willing Frank is to uh, to just kind of go for it in terms of the youth. So, starting eleven, we had Caballero in goal, the penalty saving master. Reese James starting at right back. Shout out to Andres. Woo! He's been fanboying over him for the longest time. Kurt Zuma and Mark uh, Gahey playing at center back. Marcus Alonso at left back out of necessity because we're so, so thin there. But Billy Gilmore, uh, Barkley, uh, both manning the midfield, uh, that midfield pivot there. We played a 4-2-3-1. That three in the middle was Pulisic. Pedro at the 10, which was interesting. And Cho out on the right with Michi up top. So... First things first, uh, we finished the match with an average age of 21 years and 329 days. So, boys, what are your initial reactions to how young of a squad Frank put out there? We'll start with you, Bobby. Um, so, I think that when you lose a player like Eden, uh, it's nice to kind of have something to look forward to for the season because we may not have great success against the top teams in the league this year. And so when we have a bunch of teenagers, not teenagers necessarily, but young players going out and smashing Grimsby, I think it kind of gives us hope for the season when we may not have uh, all the -the on-the-field success we've had in years past. Yeah, what about you, Andres? What did you make of it? 
I mean, I you guys know how much I love the idea of using our academy. But yeah, like Bobby said, I think this is the season where we can fill in those usual squad positions where instead of looking for a drink water as Apacosta, you know, we can look and promote from within. I think that's the right culture. That's the whole purpose of the academy. So mm-hmm. these early round Carabao Cup matches are the perfect moment to give these top, these guys kind of the spotlight and let them prove that they can handle maybe more of a physical side, not maybe that is technically gifted, but can you compete physically with full grown men? And I mean, the score kind of says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, here, here, here's kind of where I stand with the whole lineup thing. I was super stoked to see not only the starting 11, but the bench have some players that I personally haven't even done my research on yet. Like, to be honest, I don't know much about Tino Andorin or or Ian Matson. I've seen their names, you know, in, in a few articles here and there, but I've never watched highlight videos. I've never really read up on what types of players they are. So it was really cool to see them run out. The one thing I am going to say about the lineup is that if this was last season, Sorry would have picked 11 senior players and they would have passed the ball around in circles and we probably only would have won the match two or three nil. Whereas you throw out a bunch of youth players and players with points to prove, and look what happens. It's such a surprise, isn't it, when you throw somebody out on the pitch that actually wants to play for the shirt. It's amazing what can happen. But, I mean, before we finish off this section with our positives, I do want to talk about the negatives. Because this has been a Roman's Empire thing lately, where we start with the negatives and we'll end with the positives. So, I'll start with you, Andres. What was something that you noticed uh, in this match that uh that you would perceive as a possible negative actually i'm gonna divert to bobby because his idea came first so bobby Mm. i'll let you take a negative first and then i'll I'll piggyback off of you all right well um i said that uh i think it kind of looked like an nba all-star game um people were just kind of putting their head down and trying to score or dribble past people and uh it kind of led to not really much tactically or at least it seemed like it just kind of seemed like a bunch of one-on-ones and maybe people making a few off-ball runs but uh it just felt like you know the players knew they were better than than the players for grimsby and uh they played like it andres yeah just to go off of that my negative was specifically ross barkley and mishi doing what bobby said and making it all about them yes Mm -hmm. they both scored but even then, I don't think they had a good overall performance. They both played extremely selfishly, and, and neither of them were looking up for open runners. And in the buildup, they were just simply slowing it down more than progressing the ball. So to me, when you're playing such a low-level team like Grimsby, I think Lampard's looking more about what the team is doing as a unit and what you bring to that unit rather than, oh, did you take on three players and scored an average shot on a fourth-level team? Like like Barkley's goal honestly didn't impress me because we know he'll never do that in the Premier League. It was just wow. awful defending. Yeah, and an awful goalkeeper too. So, yeah. you know, these two guys prevented someone who was doing the right thing, like Pulisic, from getting a chance to shine and potentially hurt his chances of, you know, meshing with this team because the ball never made it to his feet. So that was mm-hmm. my biggest issue that, you know, Barkley was extremely out of position all game. Mishi was looking to just put his head down and take shots while he had runners to both his left and right waiting for an open one-on-one chance with the keeper. 
And these are things that if you don't practice them when you're playing against Grimsby, you're not going to practice them when you play a top four team like your Tottenham's, Arsenal, uh, City, Liverpool. So it, yeah. practice makes perfect. And if you're not doing it now, you won't do it when the chips are on the table. And, and that's what really bugged me, that it wasn't yeah. the kids doing that. It was the two guys who are supposed to be bench options that we will need to call on later this season. You know, my you mentioned Pulisic, and now for me that was my issue in this match. I said last week going in, Pulisic has to get a goal in this game, and I don't care if it was Grimsby or fucking Man City, he had to get a goal in this match. It's a cup match, and uh, and, and this is usually your time to shine. You look in years past, guys like Loftus Cheek and Cho, who've seemed to be the only youth players to break through prior to Lampard coming in, that's where they made a name for themselves, and that's where they initially impressed not only the fans but the managers that they were working under as well. And now you look at this game, and, and yeah, Pulisic did play well, but like you said, Andres, he didn't get on the ball that much, partly because of the way we played, partly because of the way he was probably deployed. I mean, I don't think it helps having Pedro in the middle, who's kind of a black hole. He only passes forward. He doesn't really pass sideways. Um, but yeah, I mean, that for me, that was my issue. And, you know, especially against a side like Grimsby, who was just fucking awful, for lack of a better word. I mean, they, they would make Papi G. Laboji look like fucking Ramos in his prime. It's it's It was just... Not a very good team, but nonetheless, a ton of fun to watch. Shout out to Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, Bone Daddy Cool, however many different names Psalm says. But he asked us how much fun was this midweek game, and I think we could all agree that it was just a fucking blast to watch. I mean, I didn't see it live, but I came home, I watched the highlights on YouTube, I found like a nice 14-minute highlight video, and my god, it was just... It was it was incredible to just see all those youth players shining and just seizing the moment, you know, uh, all the way all the way across the board. But I want to get into the positive. So, Andres, I guess I'll start with you. What was a big positive in this match? For me, it's Jody Morris and his role in this whole youth revolution. Like the work he has done with all these kids kind of was out there for the world to see with all of them together on the pitch, I feel like. Whenever we were in – the first half was decent. I think the first half ended 2-0 if I'm not mistaken. I probably should have known that beforehand. But regardless, the second half is truly when Chelsea shined, and that's when more youth was brought in. So that's when we added Ian Madsen on the side and Andrew in for Pedro. So at this point, when we have a, a U23 fielded team basically, is when it looked just kind of – Right when you what you see on the blackboard, like X's and O's, arrows, that's exactly what it looked like. Players knew where to go. The players on the ball knew where their teammates were. And and that's just credit to Jody Morris because for the longest time, he was responsible for these individual players' growth and, and their progression through the academy. And for him to get to this point where now his kids are playing for the senior side, that's a huge accomplishment. Like, screw, yes, the UEFA youth... Champions Leagues are great, but these guys now have a pathway to the first team, and they're showing that they've retained what the coaching staff has been trying to push for years. And that was, like, the biggest positive for me, that, you know, should injuries come through, we can count on Reese James, Billy Gilmore. Obviously, hudson Adoy we've seen a little bit longer, but mm. in a deeper sense, we could count on potentially an Ian Matson if we're not playing against a gigantic physical side and, and that to me is just such a like this this was to me this was Jody Morris was man of the match in, in a weird way because it was his years of work coming together for Chelsea today and yeah that that was my big positive 
Bobby, what about you? Uh, for me, it was Billy Gilmore. Um, I thought that he showed so much poise and promise. Uh, I think I saw an interview where he, they, he talked about how he would like get to the training ground an hour beforehand and watch Fabergas film, um, and it showed. And very rarely, even against a team like that, do you see somebody so young come in and play with confidence. Um, and it was nice to see somebody from the academy come in and play the way that, you know, and then the style of, of play that Chelsea wants him to play. Uh, I think that to what Andreas said, um, we used to depend on guys like Danny Drinkwater and we still kind of depend on guys like Ross Barkley when we have injuries or need squad depth. And this his performance could be the start of us depending on, you know, youth players uh, for squad depth because he has a similar play style to guys that we already have playing regularly. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. And I think uh, Dylan Lee, our boy Dylan Lee, I think I think he's a rep ultra. What do you think, Andres? I think I think he it's time to to knight him into the rep ultra family. We officially knight you, Mr. Dylan Lee. Uh, he asked, how good is Billy Gilmore? So um, how, how good do we think it could be, guys? I mean, I know he's young. I know we haven't seen a lot of him. I know that he's going to make mistakes along the way. There are going to be hiccups. Um, I would say that I don't think talent is the issue with him. I would say that it's more his physique and his size. But that's definitely something he could grow into. And and, and he's Scottish, right? If I'm not, if I'm yes, not mistaken. Yes, so, so he can definitely take a punch. So, I, you know, <laughs> that that's the thing. Or at least history shows that he'll survive the Premier League. So, I mean, what do you guys think? How good do you see Billy Gilmore being for us? I don't necessarily want to talk about the future. I want to talk about uh, – I want to talk about more this season. Here, here's my hot take. And I know you said not to the future, but – if he's already watching Fabregas videos and Lampard is deploying him deeper in midfield, I think Billy Gilmore can be a more athletic Jorginho when he's about 22, 20, in the age range between 22 and 25 years old. And the complaints, will be in his 30s by then. Well, so yeah, and, and the complaints we have of Jorginho not being quick enough or maybe not strong enough wouldn't be an issue because this kid would be essentially gr- kind of raised in the Premier League. And in a squad full of Premier League talent. So it's not going to be an adaptation for him. It's just part of his growth. So that's what I would see in my head whenever I picture a full Billy Gilmore. uh, We've seen when we get to his ceiling. But for this season, I truly think that if we need to deploy, again, in my mind, 4-3-3 is our formation. Simple as that, where you have the two box-to-box center mids with one being a little bit more offensive-minded side to side of Jorginho. If Jorginho is out and we have, I don't know, RLC and Conte or Kovacic and Mount on the sides and we are playing someone like, I don't know, Newcastle who got harassed by yeah, Southampton we'll talk, touch on later. I don't see why we can't give Billy Gilmore the start if we have maybe a, an important FA Cup or an important Champions League match midweek. That's what so, I want the role of Billy Gilmore to be mid to end of this season so bobby i'm gonna tell you the the issue i have i'm having right now with billy gilmore and i understand andres exactly what you're saying but we do have someone that is more familiar with playing that position with a very similar 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 skill set to billy gilmore and mateo kovacic your boy 
So, Bobby, my question is, do you want to see more of Billy Gilmore this season, or do you think he's more of those one-for-the-future type of player? I mean, he obviously is one-for-the-future, but, you know, we see Frank slowly blending in more and more youth day in and day out. Is he the next one to come through? Uh, I mean, I think of of the academy players that aren't, like, already obviously regulars, he's definitely the next one. And I think that we have fixture congestion, like, pretty pretty bad as it is, so... Uh, one more midfielder added to the mix certainly isn't a bad idea, especially yeah. if it gets later in the season and, uh, you know, we're pretty set at mid-table or whatever. You know, like, I, I don't know where we'll be in March or February, but, uh, I mean, mixing in youth players in any way we can is certainly not a bad idea. And I think he's ready for it, too. Yeah. So so I guess my big thing, because I kind of forgot to mention my positive – we know we knew we we all knew Reese James was going to be a great player for us, and I think it's not a surprise for anybody that he is. But my God, I, I don't know, maybe because he was playing against Grimsby, but he just looks like ten times the player that I ever thought he was. You know, I knew he was a physical guy. I knew that he had a decent touch, and that, and you know that he's versatile in the sense that Frank mentioned even early on in the season, he could play center half. He could play either of the fullback positions. He could also play center mid, but I had no idea how technically brilliant he is as a footballer. And this is a recurring theme with a lot of the Chelsea youth players, right? Like a lot of us going into the season, me included had our doubts about Tammy Abraham's holdup play. And we've seen bits and pieces that he can, he can be that holdup guy for us. He's very good with his feet. Mason Mount goes without saying. Callum Hudson-Odoi, Loftus-Cheek, another player for his size. Amazing touch. Reese James is just another player on that list for me. You could even throw Fikayo Tomori in there for fun if you want to also. He's just one of those players that you look at and you can just think to yourself, damn, he's a natural-born footballer. Some players are just born to play certain sports. And for me, Reese James was just born to play football. So with that being said... Before we kind of wrap this Grimsby part up, because I do want to move on to Brighton, you know, we saw Reese James return. We hardly talked about Cho, but what will their impact be this season? How how big of a – or how important to the squad do you think they're going to be in the next few months? Uh, we'll start with you, Andres. Well, uh, I think it's – we, we the, Bobby talked about the tier levels within the academy players, and I think these guys are the top two, right? So yeah. with with the Kyoto with the guys that aren't starting. So let's say Mount, Tammy, and Fick are most likely contending for a starting eleven week in and week out. We could argue that Cho would have been at that point if it wasn't for injury. But these two guys are the first names off off the bench or rotating in when your Aspie or when your Willian slash Mount aren't starting. So for me, these guys will get a minimum of twenty twenty five starts. Like minimum, honestly, that's like a very low minimum to me. I think they'll play 50% of this season's games as mm-hmm. a starter. And I think that, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me if they become outright starters altogether by March. I think that Aspie needs to wake up even after good performance this weekend. I think that, or not even good, decent. I think that William and Pedro definitely feel that Mount and Cho are coming out for them. So, to me, these guys are are right there, and it's just a matter of more game time and, and adapting more because, again, this is just one match that they'll earn that starting position. So to me, it, it goes from a squad rotating option to starting contention uh, as the season goes on. 
Bobby, give me give me the short version. What what do you think? <laughs> okay, well, Andreas can attest to this. Uh, I have been for years begging for Chelsea to sign a a top flight, a, a great fullback. Years have been begging us to do that. And so I'm going to go one step farther than Andreas and say Reese James should be a feature in our in our team, and I think he should mm. be one of the more important players. I think that as P is past it, I love him. He did a lot for us. He's a captain, all of that. Um, but I think, like you said as well, Reese James does so many things well. He's such a versatile player. Um, he is invaluable to the team. And obviously he needs to get back from injury and, and be fully fit and get back into form and playing shape. But uh, as soon as he is ready to play and start regularly, I think that he should. Yeah. And I hate to add a little bit more, but with going off of what Bobby said, I truly think that we are witnessing a, an age where fullback may be the most important position in mm-hmm. football, oh, where yeah. Yeah. these guys are replacing the importance of a winger because they're the ones putting in the crosses. They're the ones who are sprinting down to to add width because everyone is now an inside forward. I mean, yeah. if... No, it's been- I feel like it's been that way, though. I mean, ever since Barca bought Jordi Alba, everybody seemed to sort of kind of mimic that, having like one pacey, attack-minded fullback, and, w- and being and being very like right-sided or left-side heavy. Like, I would look take at Bar- it a step further, though, because mm-hmm. Real Madrid's success in the Champions League comes from two fullbacks who have been yeah. going up and down the sidelines, and then you go into Liverpool, and it's the same way with Alexander-Arnold yeah. and Robertson, who have both been leaders and assists for for their team so yeah i i think you need both now and and adding it you know we we think we may have it with emerson potentially and again there's always room for improvement but if we can get it through reese james on the right we're, we're putting ourselves in a great position and i mean that that'll help us out defensively as well because you look at all the sides that do have attack-minded fullbacks they don't really concede too many goals because they they pin teams back i mean it's impossible to nick the ball off of them when they have you know, eight of their 11 players and you're attacking third. But anyways, I do want to move on to the Brighton match. Um, I'll just give you the starting lineup really quick before we start talking about it. Uh, we had Keppa in goal. Dave returns to his, uh, uh, Dave returns to the right side of the defense. We had Christensen and Fick uh, manning the center of defense. Alonzo on the left. Jorginho, Barkley, and Mount manning the midfield with William, Pedro, and Tammy as our front three. So, guys... I mean, we got to kind of mention Ross Barkley was in the starting lineup. So, you know, I'm looking at our point here on the script. I know it's further along, and I know we're going to start with our negatives, but we have to start with, like, the really, really negative first. So I know Andres (laughs) has a lot to say about this. So, Andres, uh, I I, I really hope Sam, Sam is listening. Oh, Sam, yeah. When he edits this, he's going to be like, damn it, I missed the chance to, to really protect him. But what has Ross Barkley done to earn so many chances? Like, it, you know, cats have nine lives. Ross Barkley has like 15. Because at this <laughs> point, like, dude, I, I just don't understand. I, I don't see output. I don't – we talked about it. He's got all the things in his belt to, to be good, but he's not using them. He's not good at doing anything right now. He started as a double pivot again, and what did he do? Not playing the double pivot. He takes like five, six touches. The commentators mid-game said that yeah. Barkley is taking takes way too, too many touches and mm-hmm. loses a chance to move possession. His shots, garbage. 
Alonzo played a dime, and I'm talking a dime. Barkley was two feet from goal and couldn't score. And somehow he's going to start one of the next two games because I just know it. I know somehow by some magic, some juju, this guy's going to start. I literally cannot wait for RLC to be healthy again because that is the moment that Barkley gets put into the back corner and we forget that he's there until you kind of move out and you have to clean out the attic. I, I swear, if we can get $15 million for him from, I don't know, <laughs> Southampton, you take it, dude. Like, I'm so over Ross Barkley. At this point, throw in Billy Gilmore. Let him get beat up a little bit of midfield. But at least we know that Gilmore will get better. Barkley's been healthy from his ACL for two seasons now. And I can't use that as a as a cripple or a crutch anymore. Like that, that's it. Like I I can't defend Ross Barkley. Like if let him just play in the preseason and then kind of take a vacation for the for the real deal because I I I'm done, man. Like I I really don't know. We we me and my, and Jad, one of the other guys that has been on the guest, we keep a count of turnovers. We text each other a count the moment the, the whistle begins of Barkley turnovers. And I swear we're averaging double digits this season. So, uh, Bobby, do you want to have a go at uh, Ross Barkley also? or? <laughs> I mean, uh, anytime Ross Barkley is in the lineup, it's a sad day. Um, but as bad as he was, I actually uh, didn't like what we did with the fullbacks. I thought that Alonso and Aspi, uh Alonso was fine on the ball. He usually is. You know, he'll put in a good pass, put in a good cross every once in a while. Um, but both of them just missed runs all day. They couldn't track runners. Uh, Aspi was caught in no man's land all the time, and I feel like if we were playing a team with a better central forward that they may have scored twice. Uh, it's just it's frustrating watching this week in and week out where which I just feel like even if – of the team plays well uh that's always going to be a weak spot and that's also why i said before i'm so excited for reese james because i feel like he just is a huge upgrade at this point and he he's also an unknown commodity so a lot of teams aren't going to have any idea what to expect when he's deployed on the right side like they don't know if he's going to be this marauding fullback that's just going to kind of tank up and down the sideline all match or if he's going to allow you know the the left-sided fullback to push up a little higher higher, and then all of a sudden we turn into like a like a back three type of thing. I don't know. I I think it's interesting, but you know, kind of to, to to piggyback off of your point, you mentioned the fullbacks. I mean, guys, we got a clean sheet, so you know, I do understand what we're saying about the whole fullback thing and about and about how we look defensively. And yes, Brighton were absolutely awful, but a clean sheet's a clean sheet. And I think this is something that we can build on. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't pretty. Again, on any, probably against any other team this weekend, we probably would have gotten scored on. But we scraped through by the skin of our teeth, and now, now we move on to the next game. Hopefully, it's something that we could build on, especially going into next week. I mean, we'll get to it a little bit later. We're going to talk about the Southampton match. But again, another team that struggles to score goals that usually make their money on set pieces. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how we can do the how we can defend a team like this away from home now and see if we could keep a clean sheet away from home cuz if we can against the bottom half of the table teams if we could keep clean sheets, I think we'll be okay. And I think we'll have a shot for the top 6. 
But our problem is if we keep letting the top six, you know, uh, just put two, three, four goals past us every single time we play them, then we're going to have problems. But I, I do want to move on to the positives here. So first things first, Bobby, I'll let you tip this one off uh, only because you chose the greatest positive of all positives. So why, so why don't you let us know what that is? Uh, it's Tammy. Tammy was so good. He didn't score. But Team Tammy, baby. Yeah. he. And you know what's nice about him is the physical tools are there. Like, yeah. I, like he's fast. He's quick. He's, he's good with his feet. Um, he's obviously very tall. Um, he has all these things, but he doesn't, he doesn't move as big as he is. He moves better than, than that. And so all of these physical tools are there. And I think in this game, we saw him, you know, chest the ball down and control it. And he did so well holding the ball up and letting people make runs. And he did well with the play. And he did all these things that we praised Giroud for. Maybe obviously not to the level of Giroud. Things that we praise Giroud for when Giroud doesn't score. Um, but we've seen him also score and play aggressively. And I think that every game uh, he's made uh, almost leaps, it seems like. And if he can keep adding to his game and, and being consistent and, and scoring while he's doing all these other things, um, the sky is the limit for Tammy. How many goals this season? Give me a number. In the league, in the league. What does he have, five now? Seven. Six, seven. 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 Ooh. Um, I'm going to go – I'm going to set the over-under at 17 and a half then. Oh. 17 oh, you're, play, you're playing it safe. Just say 20 plus. Yeah, I mean, I want to say 20 plus because <laughs> I'm, I'm an optimistic person. And if we're letting goals in, um, which we didn't in this game, but uh, I mean, if if we let goals through, we're gonna have to score. Plus, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, 20. We'll say we'll say 20. We'll say 20 optimistically. Andres, what? Uh, let, let's get into your positives. So, so I, I don't think I've ever seen you make a compliment about this guy before. <laughs> <laughs> um, William is my positive in this game. I thought he had a good game and he got his goal at the end and which was ex- extremely needed because we were looking stale and that one nil wasn't good enough at that point. So such a William goal too, isn't it? Oh my God. Yeah. Just <laughs> it wasn't the perfect placement, but he was one-on-one off of kind of slightly off the center, off center. And low driven shot, made the hit the goalkeeper but still went in. Um, fantastic pass by Callum Hudson Odoi to find William, by the way. But I thought that William was extremely important on the defensive side of things. I think you know Bobby mentioned that our fullback marking wasn't good, but maybe in my mind it was thanks to William that we were able to plug those holes because he was tracking back so far back and so well. So for him to kind of be when N'Golo Conte wasn't there to cover every blade of grass on the pitch, it was nice to see William kind of step up and, and be that guy, but, uh, you know, down the flank. And, and uh, for once, I didn't think he slowed it down too much by trying to beat a guy and always going to his right, you know, the, the typical scissors into the right and, and kind of dribbling himself to a corner. I, I feel like I didn't see that as much. You know, if he can take coaching, which has been my biggest gripe with him, is that he has set himself that this is a player I am, this is what I like to do with the ball, and this is it. If he can go and play that kind of inside forward, kind of a little bit more direct than he usually does under what Frank wants us to do offensively, 
he could, you know, kind of take hold of that second winger spot. Like if, if Hudson Adoy is number one, William could force the others to to fight it out for third place. So obviously we need the goals to keep coming, but I thought that it was a good overall, well-rounded performance by William today, or not today, but this past weekend. So my concern, my concern with William, actually, I thought about it today, you know, since all these new Juve slash Barca rumors are popping up because he hasn't signed his one-year extension at Chelsea or hasn't been offered it or whatever the case may be. I think it's, I think it's pretty safe to assume that he's most likely going to be gone at the end of the season unless something unforeseen happens. But the thing with me is if he does leave at the end of the season, if he doesn't sign that contract extension, we could only be seeing William in the squad for the next few months. I mean, I don't think if yeah. he si- if he doesn't sign by January, I think that's the end of it. I think you're going to see a lot more Pulisic. You're going to see a lot more Cho. You might even see a little bit more Pedro at that point even. But definitely not William. I mean, th- that contract situation is just an interesting one to keep an eye on from here on out. I mean, I, I- if he hasn't signed, we're going to try to ship him off for spare change in January. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Like if Barcelona really is interested still and they're – quote-unquote, fighting Juve, again, take the $10 because we're not going to get a single dime. The moment that transfer window closes, William has every right. I think he actually can start speaking to teams yeah, at the moment it's 2020. So mm-hmm. I don't see the contract getting signed because, again, we see, we know, we've seen the trend. William is not – he shouldn't be the starting winger next season. We have yeah. we have Hazard money, Morata money, potential back Ayoko money. We have a heavy – bank and if if the winger that's starting isn't one of those young guys we're gonna go and look out in the market and we're not gonna keep William. William at this point is over 30 years old he's going to demand playing time because we know he demands it or he's gonna be vocal or go into his social media account and badmouth the team so yeah I think Chelsea know exactly what they have in their hands also the fact that David Luiz is gone his his Brazilian brother like if we don't see a signed contract by November, even if I, I'm saying by November, the the team will try to ship him off in January. Yeah. Who cares about the remainder of the season? Again, we talked about how this season's kind of a wash, even though we want to get results and we want to get top four. Getting a little bit of money for William rather than letting him walk on a free is probably a little bit more of a priority because we still have Pedro in a couple of years. And again, Pulisic hasn't touched the field much. That would just be another reason to give him some minutes. So ship him off in January if he hasn't signed. All right. We need to talk about Pulisic again. Um, This is an American Chelsea podcast for those of you that couldn't tell by our accents. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think any other country has has people named Bobby either besides England, actually. Well, Bobby Firmino. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, but that's an English thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's an English thing. Plus, Bobby yeah. Firmino isn't even the best Bobby to to live in England. I still think it's Bobby Zamora. But anyways, we'll get uh, we'll continue. I, it's been a long time since I even heard that name. I don't know what the fuck came into my head when I thought of that. But anyways, PR Zamora. Pulisic, <laughs> I know, right? Pulisic unused once again. Ugh, I mean, guys, I'm I'm gonna go in on this. Um. 
it's honestly a concern for me at this point. I mean, I don't think I know the media is trying to blow it out of proportion with the by extracting that one quote out of Pulisic's you know uh, uh, press interview where he said, "Yeah, it is kind of frustrating not getting any playing time." Why the fuck is the press asking him if it's frustrating or not? No, it's not frustrating for a 21-year-old, 50 million pound new purchase winger to come to a club like Chelsea and not get playing time. Like it, for for me, the press is just kind of fishing for bullshit to start. And I don't think Frank hates Pulisic. I don't think he does whatsoever. You know, you look at a guy like Frank who came to Chelsea, similar concerns. I mean, I mentioned it. I mentioned it every week, I feel like. I just sound like a broken record. When Frank came, everyone was calling him a fat boy. Pulisic comes, and everyone's calling him a little too light or a little too frail. He will come good eventually, but he needs to seize his chances. He had one against Grimsby. Yes, you know, it wasn't the greatest situation for him to thrive in, considering that, you know, everybody was just kind of putting, like Bobby said, it was an all-star game. But I want to see him thrive in the Premier League. And I think once he gets that goal or season-defining moment, I'm talking a key pass in a key moment of a game, you know, a, a flick on in a 90th minute that turns into an assist, a tap-in, anything it could be anything he needs some sort of catalyst soon and i really fear that you know if he doesn't get that catalyst around the holidays it might cause another issue for us i mean i know we're talking about william getting shipped off and more playing time being available for him there but frank is a type of manager where he's not going to be like okay prove yourself and then three or four months from now i'll give you your chance like like sorry did frank said if you're ready i'll give you a chance next week next match even and uh, and it's something that's worrying me. I mean, three matches in the league now un- as an unused sub, and he's been and guys like William and Pedro have been preferred to him. Yikes! I mean, I want this kid to succeed so badly at Chelsea. I, I words can I I don't think I've ever wanted a player to succeed as much as I want him to, and it's just really bothering me that he's not getting on the pitch at this point. So I mean, Bobby, Andres and I, and especially Sam, I mean, we've all we talk about this almost every week. So I think it's going to be interesting to see your point of view on this. Uh, yeah, I think that well, the most concerning thing for me from that interview was actually not that he said that he was uh like upset. Um. Because, I mean, that's obviously anybody not playing is going to be upset. Um, but it's that that the thing that was worrying to me was what he said was uh, told to him by by Frank. He yeah. said, um, Frank said, keep working and I have to improve myself in training and try to get back in the lineup. Um, if that's true, which we all know, Pulisic never talks to the media. He didn't at Dortmund. He didn't he doesn't for the men's national team. Uh, he doesn't really talk to the media, and he he's kind of like a put your head down and work kind of here. Yeah. And so if that's true, um, I hope it's not, because that's kind of concerning from Frank if he's not really giving him specific feedback, or if Pulisic just was upset and didn't want to say like what Frank had told him to get back to the lineup. Um, but also, this is something that we saw him do with Portman and with the men's national team in terms of like on the field product. For two times in the Grimsby match that kind of stood out to me, he was timid. He had a shot uh, and didn't take it. And one of them, well, okay, there were two times that it kind of bothered me with other players. One was uh, uh, Batchwise's first goal. He had his back to the goal. Pulisic was running off his right shoulder. And yeah. he laid yeah. it off. Yeah, mm-hmm. he didn't. And then the other one that I liked, and it was towards the end of the match, uh, 
because you could tell Pulisic was really pushing it at that point. He literally just took it off of Michi's feet and took a shot. And um, he came into the national team for the first time. He wouldn't shoot. He would get in on goal, and he'd be one-on-one with the keeper, and he'd lay it off to Josie, or he'd lay it off to whoever. He, he wouldn't take the shot. And Dortmund, he kind of did the same thing, where he wouldn't take shots, because I think that his personality is such that he doesn't want to stir up controversy, he doesn't want to cause problems, he wants, uh, he wants people to like him, I guess. I don't know if that's true or not, but I mean, it just seems Has like... esque Yeah. And like, especially for the men's national team, it was like, no, like, we stink, we need you to shoot. And so I think this summer, I was so happy because the national team in the Gold Cup, he was taking people on, he was shooting all the time. I mean, he was assertive. He was the he best was, player in that tournament. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. And so I was so excited. And then in the preseason, he was making runs, and even Ross Barkley was hitting him with passes on those runs. Um, and I don't know what happened. The season started, and he stopped playing like he did all summer and all preseason. And I, I but did, but did he really? Because that's that's the issue I'm having is. You know, a lot of the Chelsea content that's out there, podcasts and articles and whatnot, especially Twitter, they always allude to his defensive work ethic. And something that I was ch- – I was actually championing him for this before, before you know, the move became official this summer was something that Chelsea fans would be shocked about is how willing he is to get a foot in. Yeah. He, 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 he played uh, fullback at some point at, uh, at wingback at Dortmund. Yeah. Like he was – he was played right wing back at times. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so I don't really understand that argument. For me, that argument's not valid. Now, what you're saying is sort of valid to me. You know, he he is a timid player. Hazard esque in that type of way, right? Where instead of having a hat trick, he would rather have a goal and two assists. It's just, it's it, it's worth just as much. He doesn't have that selfish, elitist mentality that's going to propel him to you know as one of the world's best. And that's something that's concerning. I thought that coming, you know, from Dortmund to Chelsea, that's something that he would have to do. We didn't really see it too much at Dortmund. But something else that I think is interesting here that not a lot of people are mentioning is, you know, this isn't the first time he's been kept out of the starting 11 that he was expected to be in by young English talent. Yeah. And and, and I think that I, I think that has a lot to do with how good of uh, how good English teams and, and English clubs are at developing, you know, these youth academies. We paid 50 million for Pulisic and, uh, and, and Bayern was in for for Hudson-Odoi at 40 million. I mean, based on what we've seen from Pulisic so far and based on what we've seen for Cho, Cho should be going for 80 million. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that's a stretch, but it's, it's, it's just an interesting dynamic that because, you know, that's one of Dortmund's crown jewels in recent years. It didn't work out for them. They found someone, you know, a little bit more valuable in the same position. So they moved him on, and he seems to be a step behind now at England. And there's still a lot of time. I'm not saying he can't turn it around. But it's just kind of one of those things where we have to wait and see, and we have to be patient. And as an American Chelsea fan that's been dying for another American player to succeed at Chelsea for the longest time, that's frustrating. And no pun intended. But, um, Andres... I this is just a frustrating time because we just talked about Grimsby and all that and, and the youth revolution and the fact that, you know, we're willing to sell William because of what's to come. And my thing is, if you're telling me that Pedro is actually at this point, Mason Mount, fantastic start. I, I get it. Mount got to start ahead of Pulisic because also familiarity 
Lampard spent the whole season with him. Comfort, whatever you want to call it. We all knew that made perfect sense. Now, Willian, number 10 shirt, blah, blah, blah. He's probably going to start when he gets back. We get it. But what what has Pedro done this season? And, and that's my biggest thing is Pedro hasn't done anything to prove to me that he can still do kind of what he did under Conte, where I think he had 11 goals and seven assists. I don't see that anymore. I really don't. And we talk about Pulisic and his potential, but these guys don't get better if they're not playing. Like an unused sub appearance is, or an unused sub per game is not going to make Pulisic any better. It's not going to help his situation when he finally does get playing time. Like, it doesn't help his mentality either, no, and that's right. That's something so, that I'm worried about. Like, like yeah. Bobby said, Pulisic doesn't talk in the press, and yeah. we know this because we're Americans. He never says anything in the press. And in the Bundesliga, like players going to the press is not like a requirement as much as it is here in England. So mm-hmm. it, it's it, he's been kind of just like letting he he's gone through a career path where he's gotten to do essentially what, what all his talking through the pitch. And yes, he's a little timid, but people are giving me the argument that, you know, Liverpool took their sweet time to bring in Fabinho. They paid $50 million for Fabinho, and he didn't start playing until, like, November, and now Fabinho's undroppable. And it takes a long time to, to get adapted to the Premier League, and it takes a long time to do X, Y, and Z. So, why... The, the, I, I see that argument. I'm like, okay, I get it. But the difference is Liverpool is a set team with a starting 11 that had been together for quite a while. World-class manager at this point, too. Yeah. Why is it that in this season, which is all about revolution and changes, are we so afraid of putting him out there? It's not – Mason Mount's not that much, quote-unquote, thicker than Pulisic. Neither is Cho. Like, the only way he's going to see if he is good enough is by putting him out there. So – if we're taking the risk there, and also again, I go back to the Ross Barkley thing. Like, are we really gonna keep putting Ross Barkley at the at as a starter? Like, I'd rather put Mount back at the double pivot and put Pulisic yeah. at the number ten. Like, mm-hmm. these are the the things that are infuriating me. And people are saying, "Oh, you're dumb if you think that your the what's on your passport matters." I mean, to an extent, it, it's it's starting to feel that way because if you're dropping five, six out of tens every week. And you have this kid who has a potential to be dropping sevens if you give him the trust and confidence. Like, why, why is it that in a season where, again, going into preseason, none of us were thinking, oh, Tammy, Mount, all these guys are going to start day one. We never thought that. And that's like, kind of what it's been. Yeah, that's what it's been. They've been given trust. Like, again, the first two matches, Tammy didn't score. Bad. Bad. Yeah. Just blind trust. I yeah, mean, he, blind exactly. trust. It's yeah. the, the sitter he missed uh, against Liverpool. I Man mean, United. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, like, it, it's just unreal. And also, to what you were saying, Andreas, um, anything that Ross Barkley's doing, Mason Mount can do. And anything Pedro's doing at the end, Mason Mount can do. So when we're seeing, I know started when we had Mount playing in the middle. I mean, uh, Pedro playing in the middle. But if I see a lineup, where we have Mount on the wing and Pedro in the middle ever again, I'm going to lose my mind. Mount like, is fine on the yeah. left. Wing. Like, he's fine. Now, it, it, but he, he needs to be playing in the midfield and not on the wing. And I don't know why we would be switching Pedro around billion to the middle or whatever. And then playing. It seems like at that point you're doing things to make sure Pulisic isn't playing. 
Like, well, fuck, well, fuck that. Pulisic plays a ten for the national team, and exactly, he's, and he's the yeah. greatest American soccer player I've ever seen, and he has a, a, a what, ten percent of the caps as a fucking Landon Donovan or, or, you name it, Clint Dempsey or whoever else you know right. existed. But that's the thing. Why was Pedro playing a number ten and not <laughs> Pulisic? That's, that drove me Ooh, absolutely no. insane. We're talking about Barkley taking too many touches. This is Pedro who dribbles 30 yards backwards before he Towards his own to goal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. And again, like, I don't know. Again, there's there's things I'm sure that are going on behind the scenes. We also know that Garrett Southgate is also loving this youth movement in the national team. I don't know if he's gone to Lampard and said, hey, I need you to keep playing these guys. You mean so that Tottenham if I Hotspur's up, Garrett Southgate? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever he is. He's trying to bring – he's trying to take it home. So if – if he's now telling Chelsea, hey, we love your kids, and I can't just give them a call-up because I like them, I need them to play, like, is there pressure there? Like, I just want to understand Definitely. for sure. why Why yeah. is it that... But that's every it, league around the world, though. I, like, I don't yeah. I don't blame Lamps for that because, like, like, I know I did a report on China once, and, like, like, I know that the Chinese league has requirements for the amount of Chinese players you have in your team. I'm sure that mm-hmm. most leagues around the world have those. So, yeah, we that we have the homegrown quota. Right. Yeah. And and so like and it, it, yeah. they, if that's there, obviously outside of like rules, there's also external pressure, uh, and, and money and plenty of other things involved. And on top of that, how many caps did Lamps make for things nationally? Like this guy needs needs for England. And so I mean, I don't blame him for that either. It's just it's it sucks as an American and as a Chelsea fan, when you spend so much money on a player, it's young, it sucks to see him just kind of waste away on the bench. It's frustrating. Yeah, no, I I completely feel that frustration, and I mean, hopefully it turns around. And 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 I guess something else that hasn't been mentioned yet that you know we haven't really talked about too much on the pod this year was you know our big criticism of the club last season was this whole like was ownership using the club as a marketing tool, right? Like they, they sort of care about the financial aspect. Uh, sometimes they prioritize a financial aspect over the on-field product. And I feel like with Pulisic, it's a win-win if you do play him. Because look, how the, the Premier League's grown tenfold in the United States in, le- in the last five years, let alone the last 15 or 20. So bringing an American to Chelsea is not only polarizing – for soccer in the United States, but it could potentially be for England as well. I mean, th- they could finally see that, hey, the United States could actually put out some talent. But not only that, maybe we, as a, from a Chelsea perspective, maybe we can actually start selling jerseys with 22 Pulisic on the back. Maybe more Americans will start supporting Chelsea instead of wasting their time supporting Tottenham. You know, <laughs> like that's the, that's the type of thing that we need – that that should be taken into consideration to a certain extent, but isn't right now because it happens to be the one season where money is not a priority. And like, it, it just seems that no matter which way you spin it, Pulisic comes out as the unlucky guy here. We have this youth movement that he's not being a part of. We have this incredible marketing opportunity, which he hasn't been a part of. And it's just kind of gone stale right now. I mean, it, for me... I know, I know most of our English listeners and listeners worldwide could probably give two shits if Pulisic's playing or not because things are fine and dandy right now. And and they are, to be fair. But as Americans, this is something that's 
eating away at my soul little by little. But anyways, I do want to move on. Guys, I know we're supposed to talk about Fikayo Tomori. I'm just going to read through his stats really quick because I just do want to give him a shout out. 81 completed. We've talked about him every week. (laughs) Every week. Yep, that too. But, you know, just to highlight it, 81 completed passes. Yes, that is Kobe-like. 90% pass accuracy, three accurate long balls, 100 touches, four recoveries. And there's nothing the guy can't do. And then, you know, we also have the whole Jorginho uh, hype train. Which I never thought I would yes. say in the same sentence. Yes. But, you know, Lampard hailed him as a leader this week and as an example to, to the squad. And, 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 and fuck yeah, rightly so. It's about damn time that somebody gives him plaudits, not named Maurizio, sorry. Um, Maurizio. 89% pass completion. According to Frank Lampard, our new penalty taker. Always has, always will be, according <laughs> to Frank. Three chances created. Uh, 100% tackle completion. Four interceptions, ten ball recoveries, and on top of that, we got a lovely Jorginho at the end of the game, which was brilliant, and actually during his penalty as well. So, guys, uh, Bobby, I, I guess I'll start with you. Jorginho, we've had this debate on the podcast multiple times. Is he your shout for for the next captaincy? Yeah, I, I think that Jorginho absolutely be the next captain. I think that we either could go with a fiery captain or like calming presence and with all the young players i think his calming presence would be great uh as as a captain yeah no i i i think i think the reason the moment i realized i want Jorginho as my captain is when he uh called jordan henderson a bitch um so so that's always i mean that that's the quickest way to get your name to the top of my fanboy list but um i do want to move on to twitter questions we have a couple a couple questions, as usual, from uh, from our Repultra, Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe. Ron, I just actually – I want to let you know. I, I, I named my uh, Pro Clubs player this year in FIFA 20 <laughs> Bone Daddy. So, uh, Andres, I'm sure Saab told you about that. I, but, I uh, saw it. I saw it in the in the Discord group. It, it, it said, Discord, Bone yeah. Daddy has joined, and I really thought it was Ron, <laughs> and I was very disappointed that it was you. Yeah, honestly, Andres thought it was Ron. But uh, he asked, and guys, let's try to keep this part short. Are we worried about Conte's injury? So, Bobby, I guess I'll start with you on this one. Is it a worry sign for you? Um, I mean, I, I – I, uh... I don't want it to be like a nagging thing, but this year, just keep down he's fully fit. Um, we're not winning the league. I mean, it would be amazing if we did, but probably not long-term health. Just play, play the kids, do what we're doing, stay the court. A lot of the kids play well, so just make sure he's completely fit before we come back. Andres, so, what, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, so going off of off of what Bobby said. Yeah. Keep it simple. Keep him healthy, protect him because this season we're not looking to cash in on, on all the trophies. I want Conte to be here for the long term, So let's not ruin him for the long term because we need a result in the short term. We, we yeah. can do okay. Short term. Keep him healthy for Real Madrid next year. Right. <laughs> yeah. God, that'll be the worst day of my life. Oh, I um, know. Second it's not happening. Zidane's going to get retired. fired. Zidane's getting fired. Conte's not going anywhere. Yeah, I hope not. Um, so uh, next question, and this is also from Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy. Actually, the next two are from him. But he asked, was shipping off David Luiz the best move so far, especially with Tomori getting playing time? 
Guys, I think I'm going to answer this one on behalf of all of us. I think it shows Frank's ability as a manager to make tough decisions, let alone making the right decision altogether. And I think that Arsenal buying David Luiz was the most Arsenal-y thing they could have possibly done, in a sense. So so they went and looked and said, hey, maybe we could poach you know, a, a stalwart from one of our rivals, and he, he can shore up the back for us. So who should we go for? Oh, let's go for the defender that could literally do everything but defend and throw him into a team that can literally do everything but defend. And now we're finally starting to see the results. So, you know, uh, I, I'm glad David Luiz is enjoying his time at Arsenal, and I hope he gives away a thousand more penalties before the season ends. That would just be absolutely lovely. <laughs> And, and uh, props to props to Fick for taking his chance and being hell yeah. Frank either the hell one yeah. or two option right now. Mm-hmm. That's how good he's playing. Mm-hmm. Um. So, last question from Ron. <laughs> yes, is Cross the Fish and Chips boss, aka Barkley, doing his best Danny Drinkwater imitation? For those of you that don't know, he got into a little uh taxi cab scuffle, didn't he? I, I think he just meant is this guy just sucking as much as Drinkwater did for us, but I, I don't know if he meant it as that. Apparently, Barkley was caught hammered outside of a club trying to go to like an ATM or something or messing with an ATM machine. So if you mean him appearing in the media making a fool of himself drinking, then yes. If you mean him on the pitch acting like Danny Drinkwater, the answer is also yes. Get Barkley the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, you really teed off, huh? Um, last question, and this is from a new listener, so this is kind of interesting. At not Willie B asks, I love that, I love that Twitter handle. Everyone right now is happy with the youth being used, and they're performing well. RLC still needs to rejoin the squad. This joy will last all season, I think. But what about next year when we can use the Hazard money? Are people still going to be pushing for youth when we could afford someone potentially world-class to come in and take one of their spots? Uh, Andres, I'll start with you. So I mentioned a, a couple of episodes back how I thought that this transfer ban can become a very good thing for us. If this transfer ban shows us that we can go into our academy and at a bare minimum find a player who can pitch in 15 to 20 starts in a four-competition season, we're using the academy correctly. Now, if we have an academy player that has world-class potential, we don't want to slow that down. But if we're now looking at an academy player, again, next season, if there's a chance at getting, I don't know, a left back, let's say we we somehow we get a, a guy who's a world-class left back, just because Ian Madsen plays well for us, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be getting a world-class left back now because Madsen is 17 years old. Like, we have plenty of time to get there. He's just now kind of rising in the academy. But if you're telling me that we're going to try to get a center midfielder where Loftus-Cheek and Mount are splitting time, I'd say uh, probably don't want to do that. So... I think it just depends on the position. I mentioned earlier that if Pulisic doesn't get to to shine or doesn't really live up to to what we would like for him as Americans to do, then maybe a winger to play opposite of Cho would be a good sign. Or maybe, and again, uh, Zach, don't kill me, but if for some odd reason Tammy 
fades or something. I'm oh. saying odd reason. I'm saying it for won't odd happen. Reason. Maybe but I'm a telling striker. you. I, I'm telling you. I got word that it won't happen. Oh, okay. Trust me. So that's how I see it. If if these guys are still going to be in the plan to at least be squad players, and again, we're not blocking. I think there's only a few names we don't want to block, and those are uh, Cho, Reese James, RLC, and then maybe behind RLC Mount. I I want to give Fikayo Tomori a whole season because if he's the starter, then maybe Zuma is shipped off, and then our four center backs will be Fick, uh, Rudiger, Christensen plus one. So those are the four names that I think we really shouldn't be looking to block with a world-class signing. So it's just a matter of, of where you're looking to improve. I'm not saying that because we have these youth players in each position for the future, you don't want to grow. Because, again, the teams that dominate are the teams that have the deep bench of quality players. We're talking the Chelsea teams of the mid-2010s were Deco. Real Madrid, yeah, yeah, the, the... – the Real Madrid team that won three Champions Leagues. In yeah. At one point, Chelsea had the luxury of having Deco, Joe Cole, and Michael Bollock on a bench on a given day. That's what we're trying to aim for. It's not about, oh, the starting 11 plus B-listers. No, no, no. We have plenty of games where we can have talent across the board, potentially two, two per position. It's just yeah. a matter of finding the right balance between the youth and experience. And that's where... Petr Cech's job comes into play, and hopefully he's the, the guy that can get that balance figured out. I still think it's a little too early to talk about what we need and what we don't need because these guys need a full season, man. They've only played seven league matches. So, you know, we need to see uh, – what I want to see is how they handle adversity. How do they handle a dip in form? How do they handle seven, eight-game scoreless? How do they handle the Agueros, you know, the Yangs, the – the best strikers in the world, especially on a European stage. How do they handle European away matches? I mean, there's still so many questions that have gone unanswered so far. But I do want to move on. Speaking of Europe, we do uh, play Lille this week. Uh, it's an away match. And a little background on Lille. Fourth in League One. So far in uh, in their League One campaign, they've scored 11 goals and only conceded seven. They have been playing a 4-2-3-1 for most of this season. And uh, didn't look too convincing against Ajax, but lately, the last week or so, they have picked up a little bit of steam there. So, um, Andres, let's talk about some things that we need to look out for uh, when it comes down to Lille. Well, if we want to be super American about it, Timothy Weah plays there. <laughs> hey, Timmy Weah. Um, he hasn't been getting playing time. Which he, is is, yeah, he has a torn hamstring. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, that explains it then. Well, um, for me, so I honestly don't want to sound like a little expert. I honestly think that last season it was the Nicolas Pepe show. And if one thing that, that we can learn is sometimes, I and again, we discussed Monaco before recording. These French teams are very up and down, hot, cold. So while they may be on a hot streak and they are fourth in league on, like I'm honestly not that impressed. And yeah. this Ajax side isn't better than last year's. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked when they won 3 nothing. So for me, I think even in an away match, we should be looking to win this game. And I think that I'm, I'm personally going to be disappointed if we don't like have a solid victory. Uh, yeah. Maybe not as dominant as the Brighton one, but you know, I don't, I don't think we should come out of that match and think, man, 
we didn't look that great. Like, I think it should be the opposite. It's like, oh, we looked pretty good. And, and Lil tried fighting back. Like, that's kind of what I want to hear from this match. Just because I think we have it in us. Whether we have Conte or not, whether we have Rudiger or not, we still have the quality to fill a very strong 11 and get a result at Lille. And I just think that we should be able to get that done. Give me a prediction. Two to one. But it went. It goes two nothing Chelsea and then they score late. Bobby, what do you think? Uh, I hope that's two to one. I think that Andreas said is is pretty true with the being up and down. Um, if you look at it, they have a lot of youth, um, and they're fast. They they are. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's not like them. It's just a lot of unknown commodities. Mm-hmm. Um, and like last year, obviously Nicholas Pepe was was the main man. But I think like Ikone. Um, He's young. He's going to be a guy that probably gets a move out of uh, out of wheel not this summer, maybe next. Um, if a guy like him gets gets going, it may be trouble for us. But as they go up and down, so does our defense. And our defense is that day. This is a team with their youthful exuberance that be past us. So I, I worry about that. There is a similar to us. I think it's interesting that you brought that up, Bobby, because I think they're a team like us where they don't have anything to lose. You know, they're going to go into this game. They got a young front four. They do have a striker that loves to score goals, Victor Ozeman. I I looked up some of his highlight tapes. I mean, this guy loves himself a flick. (laughs) He will anything that goes near his head is is just a flick on to a runner, and uh, that's basically how he gets most of his money. A lot of tap ins as well. I'm going to go two one Chelsea here. I just think that Chelsea's youth is just so far ahead of any of the other teams that we're going to be facing, maybe besides Ajax, you know, throughout the rest of the season even. So I'm going to go 2-1 Chelsea. And guys, Marcus Alonso gets on the score sheet this time. Exciting, exciting stuff. It's going to be a screamer. But uh, we (laughs) do play Southampton this weekend uh, at St. Mary's, a place where – we re- we never really know what to expect when we go there. Um, hopefully Ross Barkley doesn't start, but if he does, let's hope to God that he could repeat what he did last year. Um, but anyways, a little background on Southampton in general. Um, this is probably the most un-Southampton side that we have seen in a very long time. Not a lot of young faces in there. Not a lot of young talent in general besides Nathan Redmond and that guy Che Adams who've just been failures to a certain extent. I remember seeing a tweet a while back that said Nathan Redmond is the English or Eden Hazard is the Belgian Nathan Redmond. And I just, oh God, that that aged well. Um, but they're 14th in the Premier League, only seven points in seven matches. Their leading scorer has a whopping two goals. Um, so, guys, I mean, shit, there really isn't much to talk about when it comes to Southampton because they're shit. So uh, let's just make sure that Chelsea don't lose this fucking game, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so what are we going? What are we feeling? Well, I think uh, hopefully, looking at it this week, I, this may be the game Pulisic starts in. Uh, if if we're serious about Pulisic starting, I don't think he. I, I'd be shocked if he played in the Champions League this week. Didn't play on the weekend. So, hopefully, we get Pulisic angry, running at people, and he gets a brace. Mm. That's what I'm hoping. Andres, what do you think? I'm hoping for another clean sheet. I think this is another good chance to do so. And 
I'm going to predict, and this is a very, very tough prediction. I'm going to predict that we actually handle set pieces well for once this season because I think that's the the real only threat Southampton has, which should make it easier for Lampard and Jody to kind of game plan around that. So mm-hmm. I think that we'll surprisingly be well prepared for their set pieces going into this match. Uh, I say 3-0. I'm going to go 4-0, Chelsea. I don't think Southampton's uh, center backs are going to be able to handle our press. Uh, Yannick Vestergaard is just a, a, a walking uh, slippery when wet sign. Um, he, he's very, very error prone to mistakes. And we've seen him make a couple of mistakes in the last season or so. I could think of two off the top of the head. Um, so I'm going to go 4 0 Chelsea. I just don't think they'll be able to handle our press. I think we're going to be uh, flying high from the midweek match. And I think, uh, I think a lot of our performance at the weekend depends on the midweek match. I think if we handle Lille and put together a cohesive performance against them, I think we'll march into Southampton with all the confidence in the world and just put them away in the first half. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we could do that. And uh, I'm going to say we score a goal on a set piece. I think we're way overdue, guys. I, 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 we grew up watching Gary Cahill and 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 uh, John Terry and Drogba go flying in on corners and just score countless amounts of headed goals off corners. Don't forget Ivanovic. I think Ivanovic, yep, Europa League final, baby. But um, I, I, I think that's something that we're definitely going to see here. We're going to see a, a set-piece goal by Chelsea, and we're going to win this fucking game 4-0. And it's going to kickstart our season, guys. How does that sound? to me. Yeah. Cool with me. It sounds good with me. Anyways, I mean, that kind of brings us to the end of our episode here. So first things first. Bobby, thanks for joining us, man. I mean, really good stuff. I I apologize in advance for whoever is listening. We did have a bit of technical difficulties, but Bobby was a good sport about it. He kept going. That's the kind of thing we want to see. He plays for the shirt. Isn't yeah. that right, Bobby? <laughs> Playing injured. <laughs> Playing injured. That's what I'm talking about. Andres, always a pleasure, my friend. And for those of you that aren't already doing so, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. You can also email us, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. And we have an Instagram account. Not a lot of followers, but we have an account nonetheless. Romans, <laughs> Just search Romans Empire Pod and look for a, a little uh, little picture of Roman Abramovich holding up a Roman shield with a Chelsea lion on it. But anyways, guys, until next week, keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>